Thank you for choosing this Dream Centre podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for further updates. If you've got your Bibles, go to Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, today I want to talk to you about a new order that God is bringing into the church. And it's something you may not have heard, but it's something we're certainly going to experience. Certainly going to experience in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 7. You read a lot about this guy in the book of Hebrews. But only the high priest entered the inner room. And that only once a year and never without blood. So there was a place that the high priest had to enter every year. But always had to have blood with him. Everybody understand that? Always had to have blood. Which he offered for himself and he offered for the sins of the people. That they had committed in ignorance. How many of you know there's a lot of ignorant people out in the world? Yeah? The Holy Spirit was showing... By this, that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed. So there was a place in the future that had not yet been disclosed. So when the priest in the past were doing what they were doing, it was symbolic of the future, but they didn't know it. Does that make sense? They were being symbolic and prophetic about what they were doing, but they didn't know it. And there was a dimension that was closed to them, but it's been open to you. It's now been open to you. We now, as Christians, take it for granted. But for these guys, they did not understand it. Yes? So, but it says, the Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed. As long as the first tabernacle was standing. This is an illustration for the present time. Indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. So many years ago, the worshippers would assemble because God said, you have to come before me as a nation. They would worship, but their conscience was never cleared. They would work and they would, it's very much like, you know, we have in, in the church today when we have the father who gives, here's your confession. Yeah. He listens to your confession and he says, Father, I've been a bit of a, a naughty boy this week. And he says, what, well, well, tell me some, what is it? And he listens and then he say, you say what you've got to say. And he says, well, here's the, here's the mantra, say three our fathers, four men is whatever it is they say. And you go away, but your conscience is never cleared. Because you go back and repeat it again. So the, 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 the father in the church who was listening to your confession was very much like the, the high priest many, 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 many years ago. He would act on behalf of the people. Yeah? But the people would never ever go away any different. They always came every week, but every week they went back the same. Still struggled in sin. Still struggled with guilt. Still struggled with condemnation. Still struggled with low self-esteem. Still struggled in their flesh. And they never could ever get any clearer. Why? Because the way had not yet been opened for them to go all the way. You and I now can go all the way and have our conscience clear. I can stand before God and know that I'm not a sinner anymore. Do I sin? Yes. But I am not a sinner because he's forgiven my past. That which I am aware of, I need to repent and put right. But these guys never had the opportunity. Never had the opportunity. <clears throat> so, when we, when we worship last Sunday, I don't know if you remember, we made a statement regarding uh, where we are going as a church when we read that word Zion. How... Very often, it's not about you trying to get into Zion. It's about you letting go and letting Zion enter inside you. God wants to come inside us. We're all the time trying to struggle to get inside of him, but he wants to come inside of us. 
That's always been his plan right from the beginning. How many of you know that? <clears throat> from the beginning of time, God has always been trying to get into the heart of man. Right from the beginning. You say, how so? Well, he gave him the Ten Commandments. He gave him commandments. He gave him the tabernacle. That was their church in the wilderness. That's where they met. And everywhere they went, they had to pick it up and move it. So it was like it was a mobile church. And in the mobile church, it had the furniture and it had the regulations and it had everything. So, but all the time, from the beginning of time, I should say, God has always been trying to get into the heart of man. He's always been trying to get man's attention. He did it through burning bushes. He did it through fires. He did it through his voice speaking and the, and the earth shaking. He did, does it through uh, miracles, signs and wonders. He does it so many, many ways so that people can hear about him. You notice that? He does it so many ways. People say, oh, it was just coincidence how I came a Christian. There's no such thing as a coincidence. It's a God incident. God uses the environment to bring you to him. Now, very often he's been speaking a lot longer than you started hearing. You know that? So there was a time when he picked the sins of the people. God had to set up all kinds of regulations to make atonement for their sin. Someone was thinking about their mess before they made it. Isn't that good to think of God? You know, your mother, she thinks about your mess and she's anticipated it. And then you expect her to clear up your mess. If you're a, you're a young lad or a young girl growing up, you just make a mess and you think mum's going to clear it up. True? And nine times out of ten, she does. And then dad comes on the scene and says, hey, you're making your mother work hard. Father has to bring some order because the sons sometimes don't listen to the mother. But when your dad gets in, you're in trouble. Right, so she brings, he brings order in the home. Well, God has always been looking, God always, from the beginning of time, was looking for a way to clear your mess up. Because I don't know if you know, you're messy. You are messy. Yeah? When you see that in God, you are messy, you've messed up. You've messed up. It wasn't messed up. We all messed up. But thank God, God had me in mind. He says, Tony, you've messed up big time, but I've already thought ahead. I've already thought ahead and I've already planned someone to clean it up. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. Can you imagine in those days, all those regulations had to be kept. But it was messy. It was messy coming to church. There was blood everywhere. Animals being slaughtered. It was messy. And now the priest had to go behind the curtain and take up some blood because it was always a blood sacrifice that God was looking for. But he didn't want it week after week after week after week. He designed, we're going to do it and we're going to do it once. And when we do it once, it'll be done once and for all. It'll be perfect when it's done. And when it's done, you'll never have to go this way again. Aren't you glad that you don't have to carry your ox to the door and expect me to slaughter it? Hey, are you glad? I certainly am glad. I certainly am glad. Kebab every night? Steak every night? No, thank you. But that's the way it had to be done. God was a regulatory God. He hasn't changed. He hasn't let his standards. He perfected them. So that you and I could enter in to where he was. Amen? And what he did, he created what we, is known as a mediator. A mediator. Someone who can act on your behalf and clean your mess up. How many of you need a mediator? The kids always say, it's great. The family's always a great illustration. When I was a kid, I used to say to our Shirley, Shirley, she was my mediator. Shirley, go and ask me mum. Who you go and ask her? No, no, you go and ask her. Why? Because you, you'll speak louder than I will. 
or you've got a way with dad, you can get in his, in, in, in his good books. So she would go and she'd say, my mum would say, no, you go and ask your dad. Oh, and then we'd come back and have a conference. Then we'd have a conference and I'd say, no, you were, you're going to me, dad. So she would go to dad and my dad said, why don't you just both come? Oh no, she's better. She's a better mediator. Because if you're going to slay anyone, let it be her blood. <laughs> not my blood. She's the older one. You need, you need seed, Lord. You need seed. <laughs> so every, everyone has a mediator. Everyone finds a mediator. You go and ask him. You go and ask him. And, uh, and God always knew that the people wouldn't always ask. So he would find a mediator. One who would act on their behalf. And he did. He found Christ. Christ is our mediator. So let me show you how this mediator works. And, the, and when, when we have a mediator, God created a new order. So the old order, the old priesthood of the, of the bells, smells and the incense and nonsense, all that's gone. Dragging your animal into the church, that's gone. That's the old order. So God had to set up a new order to bring the people closer to himself. Because the people in all their sin were so, so disrespectful to God that God wouldn't allow them so close. And God says, look, we can't keep doing this. This is not working. So I'm going to provide a mediator who's going to set the way up once and for all. So that all the nations can come, not just the Israelites. Are you glad? Doesn't matter if you're Jew or you're a Gentile. It doesn't matter. You can come all the way. So there's two people we're going to look at this, this morning. And the first guy is called Melchizedek. Strange name. And you think the Dream Center is a weird name. You think of Melchizedek. What are what you, what you calling your son? Melchizedek. <laughs> not your Mel, not your Mel. But. Or as, as me and Andy were saying, it's Melchizedek. <laughs> Genesis chapter 14. If you've got your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 14. And we'll see how this guy turns up on the scene. And we'll learn some things about, about him. Genesis chapter 14, starting at verse 17. After Abraham returned from defeating Kedalomer and all the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh. This is the king's valley. The Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high and he blessed Abraham. So who was he? He was a priest of God most high. And he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham, by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and, be, and blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Then Abraham gave him a tenth. Listen, you want to know where your tithe comes from? And he gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abraham, Abraham, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. Can you imagine saying that? Give me the people and you can keep everything else. People are priceless. So many pastors are selling the people for the goods. People are our greatest commodity. People is what it's all about. Christ died for people. But so many people will sell the people for the goods. Yeah? Here we go. So he said, but Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and I've taken an oath. That I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal. So that you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich or Abraham rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me. To Anna, Eshkol and Mamre, 
Let them have their share. Let them have their share. So here we see Abraham returning from a fight. The kings of Sodom are fighting. They're in the valley of Shaveh. And what had happened is, is, as this fight breaks out, some of the guys begin to go and plunder the surrounding areas. And as they go to plunder the surrounding areas, one of the areas that they plunder, Abraham's nephew's there, Lot. Lot is living. So it's like saying, for instance, is that there's a war going on in Manchester with the kings. They're fighting, and as they break out, they go and plunder Drawsden. And as they plunder Drawsden, they find Phil and Ange. And they're my nephews. They're not my nephews, but... Okay, so me being Abraham, and me being, you know, the big brother in this, in the big, in this situation, I go and take my clan and I go and rescue him, like I've always had to do, right? <laughs> go and rescue him, save his family, look after him, bring him into my crib, you know, all the usual. We bring him and we rescue him and we keep him safe. Wherever, wherever Lot went, he was always in trouble. Abram constantly had to keep on clearing his mess up. Yes? So, Lot's in trouble. Abram goes out. And as he goes out and he's coming back, all of a sudden, on the path, Melchizedek turns up. Just turns up from nowhere. Right? Turns up from nowhere. And he's met by him. And first of all, you think, well, where did this guy come from? Well, this is the beautiful thing. God was setting up an order. Melchizedek was what we call a Christophany. In other words, when you read in the Old Testament, there's times when Christ turned up. He turns up. They didn't know him as Christ, but he turns up. Now we've got the whole Bible. We can see. But they didn't see. They didn't know. So it's called a Christophany or a Christophany. Right? And he turns up. So Melchizedek is a picture of Christ. Right there, you see that Melchizedek is a picture, is a symbol of Christ. Of what Christ will come to do. Right at the beginning of Genesis, Christ is there. Right there. Why? He just doesn't turn up in the book of Matthew. Christ was always moving with his father. All the time. How many of you know, the sun has always been up there. The sun has always been working. So here we see the picture of Melchizedek, who's a picture, who's a prophetic picture of Christ. And Melchizedek meets him. So he's just, he, and, don't, and here's the thing, the next thing, as we symbolize, he's a prophet and he's a priest. A priest, sorry, priest and king. Jesus is our prophet, priest and king. Yes? Melchizedek comes to him as a priest and king. He's a priest and king, but where was his kingdom? He said he was the king of Sodom. Salem, sorry. Salem. The king of Salem. He just turns up out of nowhere. Only God could do that. Only God can do that. Abraham's going one way, and all of a sudden, whichever path Abraham would have taken, I reckon he would have turned up. It was always destined that he was going to meet Melchizedek. It was always destined that God was going to show the picture right from the beginning. Hello? It's always destined. God's doing far more that you don't understand than he's doing that you do understand, ready for you'll come into the understanding. 
God didn't start doing it because you understood it. God was doing it before you understood it. How many of you know that? God was there on his throne before you ever knew he was there. God was moving in Christians' lives before you even knew Christianity was a life. God was always the way, the truth, the life before you, you discovered it. God was always doing it. He's been doing this thing a lot longer than you have. So we see he's a, he's a priest and a king. Jesus is our great priest and our great king. He was the king of the Jews, they said. The kingdom of heaven belongs to me, says. Now it belongs to you. Why? He's a king, he's got rulership. And he can share his kingdom with whoever he wants. So here he is, coming out of his kingdom and sharing what he has with Melchizedek. What was the thing he brought? He brings bread and wine. I, I know another guy who broke bread and gave and drank wine. The Last Supper. It was a symbol of Jesus right there bringing bread and wine. Breaking it before him. Showing him of what was coming. There would, there would be a new covenant that was coming. Even before Moses receives his old, his Ten Commandments, Jesus, should say Melchizedek, was pointing to a new covenant. A new covenant that would come. A better covenant. So you wouldn't even have to keep all the bells and smells and all the regulations. A new covenant would be a relationship. Jesus said, I've got, you know, a new covenant. Love one another as I have loved you. You mean you don't have to bring the animals and slaughter them? No. Why? Because I'm going to be the animal. I'm going to be the lamb. I'm going to lay my life down for the whole world and my blood's going to be given and shed for all of you. So when I go back up to the throne room, I'm the high priest. I can go behind the curtain and I can appease my father. Yeah? I can appease my father and say, Father, now they can come near to you. Why? Because I'll be their mediator. I'll stand in the way. Now they'll come through me. They won't have to bring the animals and, 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 and slaughter them. We don't need a man anymore. I'm going to be the man, Christ Jesus. And I'll take on the whole sin of the world for them. I'll take their mess and I'll put it in me. And they nailed him on the cross. They didn't realize what they were doing. Because the Bible says in Romans, had they known, had they known he was the, he was the king of glory, they would never have crucified him. They never would have done it. And you can imagine all hell for, oh no. What have we done? He's now got victory and we can never reverse it. He's got the keys to life and death. The de devil can never get them back. It's won. It was a battle he did once and for all. He doesn't have to keep dying. He's done it once. Where the ceremony you had to keep on, didn't matter how many animals you had, another one would need next week. Another one would be needed. The butchers were never out of business. Yeah? They were never out of business. And here we see him bringing the pattern to us, the blood, uh, sorry, the bread and the wine. It's going, to be, it's going to be a central figure of Christianity in the years to come. Amen? Melchizedek coming to appear, showing us that it was a better way, a better way that Christ was coming. He also brought him grace. Abraham, uh, Melchizedek is a picture of grace. That no longer will we have to keep working and striving and struggling. But grace is being offered to you today, Mel um, Abraham. The grace. I'm giving you the bread and the wine. You don't deserve it, but I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. You know, the other thing is about, what I love about Melchizedek is this, is all the spoils that were taken, he won back. Right? 
And he probably won a lot more as well. But the first thing the kings of Sodom tried to do was just like Satan did. I'll give you all this if you bow down and worship me. Yeah? That's the first thing he tried to do. He came out and he said, give me the people and you can take all the goods. Because he knew the people were higher with the commodity. Right? So he tried to negotiate with him there. And straight away, just like Jesus said, get away, Satan, for it's written. Now, Abraham didn't say that. He said, I have lifted my hands to the Lord most, God, most high and only he will bless me. You're not, I'm not going to take anything from you. I refuse. And the first thing that happens in Christianity is the world will always offer you its riches. It will always try to offer you its riches. Why? Because as God's created one way, the world will create another way. Because it doesn't want you to meet the mediator. It wants you trapped. It wants you lost. It wants you helpless. It wants you destitute. It's good for business. It's good for business. If you're free, you don't need certain people. Do you know that? You don't need a therapist if you're free. You don't need a doctor if you're healthy. You don't need Bupa. Well, you might need it in the years to come, but you know what I mean? The Bible says, Jesus said, it's not the healthy, you need a doctor. It's the sick. I've come for them. So the world will always offer you a different way. Right now, some of you are being offered a different way. And Jesus is coming to you, presenting you the bread, the wine, the covenant. He's given you everything that he has. And he's given you, he says, I am the way. In me. In me. In my father's house, there are many dimensions. In other words, in me. In me and my father were one. So I'm in the father. You're in me. Sorry, I'm in, you're in me. I'm in the father. We've got three in one. Amen. So the world will always want to show you a different way. In fact, Matthew says this. Matthew 6.33 says this. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Why? For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Anyone found that? Every, every day has got its own problems. Don't lose today. By thinking about tomorrow. And worrying about yesterday. You can only got to, you've only got today. But so many things are trying to take you away. From the way. Why? Because it will open up to you a different way. A different alternative. And being a Christian. Bible says. Listen. I saved you. And died for you. To stop you going that way. That way is no good. It will only result in death. And heartache and misery. But I want to be free to do my own thing. Okay. Be free to do your own thing. But I'm just letting you know. It will end in tears. True. It will end in tears. But if you go this way. But it's hard this way. Hey. I. It was hard for me to go on that cross and die for you. But not my will. But his will. You know it actually does get easier the more you let go. It's only hard because you're in the way. It's only hard because of your flesh. You know that's true. It's only true. If you count yourself dead to Christ, in other words, this is the way, there is no other way, then Lord, it gets easier. It really does. But while you're struggling all the time with your flesh, I don't want to do this, I don't like that, I don't want to do this, it's like, eat, it's like giving those kids those vegetables. Eat it all up. Why? Because I told you. I don't I don't like it, but eat it because they're good for you. The kid does not, 
You'll never convince a kid they're good for them. But that's the trouble. So many believers are still children. It's amazing. Vegetables taste different as you get older. They do, don't they? Carrots never change for me, but you know that. <laughs> Carrots will never change. They're still God-forsaken things. But the point is, vegetables change. It's amazing. As a kid, all I ever wanted was chips and all this stuff. And I never wanted what we call a Sunday lunch, you know, the vegetables and all the meats and things like that. Now, it's, one of, it's my favorite. Why? Because you, your appetite changes. You condition yourself. Things don't taste as foul. There's still, Carol, I still have to wipe those sprouts under the potatoes for me. But to get them down, why? She tells me they're good for me. I know they're good for me. They just don't taste it. And it's the same in Christianity. This will do you good. No, it won't. Come on, open wide. Come on, one more spoonful. By now, Paul says, writes a letter to the church. By now, he says, some of you should be adults, but you're still infants. I cannot talk to you at the level I need to because some of you are at milk, he says. That was the problem with the, with the church in the New Testament. He could not speak to them at the level they needed speaking to. There's so many Christians you can't speak to at that level. Because they're always, they want a bottle. Give me another bottle. Let me suck on the bottle. Just make it simple for me. And he, have you noticed, it's always, it's always they want the bottle when you're speaking. Hey, there's a time when the children have to grow up. We all start as children, both physically and spiritually. But there's a time when you've got to leave elementary things. There's a time when you leave milk and you grow. That takes time and process. But at least you've got to start. You can't always be time scrap. You can't always be doing that. There comes a time when God will bring you into understanding. If you're willing to let go of some stuff, he will bring you into understanding. I will state my life on it. Yeah? So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. You, you can still get the things, but there's a way of getting them. Yes? Don't worry about tomorrow. Anybody got worried about tomorrow? There's your answer. Don't worry. If he says don't, there's a reason. For tomorrow will worry about itself. So tomorrow, tomorrow has got worries. Tomorrow has got its own concerns and its worries. Tomorrow literally worries. But you don't have to. You don't have to worry. Because he said don't. Why? Because it'll, it'll take you into tyranny. It'll take you into, into a cycle of depression. Yeah? How many of you know that? So go to Hebrews chapter 7, if you will. Melchizedek's on the scene. He's a picture of Jesus Christ. He's trying to show Abraham that this is the picture. This is what will come in the years ahead. This is what you and I, we're the generation that's inherited this. So in Hebrews 7 verse 1... Talking about Melchizedek, he gives us some information. He says, Melchizedek was a king of Salem, the priest of God. Most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings. Did we not read that? And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness. I know another king called king of righteousness. It's called Jesus Christ. Amen. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. I also know another king who was a king of peace. In fact, the kingdom, the kingdom is peace, righteousness, and joy. So he's all of a sudden, he's fitting all the descriptions of the guy who turned up in the Old Testament. Yes? Without father or mother, it means earthly. Without genealogy, 
without beginning of days or end of life like the Son of God. Like the Son of God. He's paralleled him right there. He's like the Son of God. So the Son of God had no earthly genealogy. He was born of his father. He's he's the begotten son. He came from his father to this earth through a virgin birth. Yes? And he started. But his lineage, his, his, his history comes from his father. So he's the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace. He's without biological mother or father. He has no earthly genealogy without big beginning or ending of days. Just like the son of God. My, my savior has no end. He has no end. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. What's the word? It's him. It's not something we just read. It's him. It's, it's a person. This is where so many people mis, misunderstand. They read the Bible and think, oh, it's just, it is a book. It is a book to those who don't understand. But if you meet, you can meet the person through the word. How many of you know that? So he says, Melchizedek was a king, a priest of God most high. He met Abraham from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First his name means he's king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father and mother, with genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the son of God. He makes his statement very, very clear. Now put your finger in your Bible and go to Leviticus. I love what, what the parallel between Kizadek and Christ. It's the same person. Leviticus 16. Verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he's going to die. Wow. Wow. Because I appear in a cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Remember that all this has had to be for, a, for an offering. All this had to be brought into the, into the, into the equation. He is to put on a sacred linen tunic with white linen undergarments next to his body. So now he's got to wear a new uniform. Yeah, this is why the Catholic Church all wear the, you know, the, all the, all the, uh, the uniforms. The Pope, uh, the Pope has the white, have you seen it? The white, uh, what do you call it? Garment, obviously, garment. And it's all clothes, layers upon layers upon layers. Have you ever seen the Pope when he gets undressed? On the TV, and he takes, he takes, I don't mean literally get undressed, you know. <laughs> Dear me. When he takes, in fact, in fact, in fact, in fact, if you watch the program, The Borgias, right, on a Saturday night, you'll see it. How all the robes, how much clothing he had to put on. It took him, I mean, some of you ladies take ages. These guys got took ages as well. And he didn't have any makeup. So he, he put a sash around him. Notice the sash in the priesthood today. He put his little uh, bobby hat on. His turban. These are the sacred garments. So he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. Now can you imagine all that had to be done? 
Now you come in this morning with a t-shirt. I come in with a t-shirt. Can you imagine if I would have been in the Old Testament, I would have been dead before I even got to the door. This is not the way you dress up as a priest. You know that? I know if you didn't know that, once you're blind, now you can see. You have to have all that uniform on. So what, we, what did we do in the church? We made everyone wear ties and suits. We made all the ladies dress up really nice and we made them put, you know, big lovely hats on them, look like bowls of fruit, I used to say. And all, everyone was all suited and booted into the church. Was it not? Yeah. And they stood there like that, you know, everyone's sweating and they just think, oh, can I just come in a t-shirt? And everyone had to be suited and booted. Phil and I, when we first went to this church, we, we, were, we had motorbikes and we went to this church, which was a brethren church. And Phil and I have got air right down here. Right? Turns up on a motorbike. They turn all the colours of the rainbow. They thought they were going to be ransacked, raided, raped. They, they just never see... They weren't, they weren't ready for people like us, were they, Phil? Well, certainly not like him. <laughs> and we walked in there with big boots up. I've got all the, you know, the buckles on. I've got the helmet, the gloves, everything. And we walked in and you can see the guy at the door going, oh, God, Jesus, take me right now. Take me right now. And we gets in the door and all the lads, even the young lads, have all got suits on. All the girls are dressed up to the 90s, right? Or 2000 and whatever it is now, anyway. Forgot where, what time it is. But anyway, they're all dressed up like they're going to the ball. And here's me and him, greasy dagos. Not had a shave. In those days, he used to smoke and I was still going to church. And it turns up and they thought, and me and him think, we don't belong here, do we? We don't belong here. And then they come to take communion. Well, you can't. At least they've got a suit on. I've just got a leather jacket on. And they give in communion. And they think, these... Nobody wanted to say we were sinners. But you felt it in the room. <laughs> and I said, I'll be a good mediator again. I'll take his bread and wine. I'll look after him. But this is how they made us feel. And, it's, and we, st- <laughs> we stood out like a sore thumb. Because that was their mentality. That everyone's got to be suited and booted. In the church. Now I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to wear a suit. You be, should be free. That's the point I'm saying. You should be free to wear a suit or wear a, t- a shirt. It's up to you. But some churches around the world, if you don't wear a jacket, they wouldn't let me preach. I can preach rubbish, but as long as I've got a jacket on. <laughs> Seriously. As long as I've got a jacket on and I fit their attire, their idea of what I should be, I can say absolute rubbish. Sell the people. Just get the goods. So Aaron... Realised that this is the way he had to come. But thank God there was a mediator who's going to change all this. I keep saying it. Hebrews 6.19. Can you imagine Abraham, uh, sorry, Aaron could not come, come into the house whenever he wanted. Because of his sons. He messed up big time. Someone's still got to clean his mess up. He's messed up. He's got, he's got sons who have messed up. And now he's got to, to um, be, his, his mess has got to be uh, cleansed as well. So now you've got his sons, you've got him, and he's the priest. So now, in Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 6, this is what it says about Jesus. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. It's firm and it's secure. Who's he on about? Christ. Listen, it enters... The inner sanctuary behind the curtain. The same place that they couldn't go. Now, our hope, 
has gone behind the curtain. He's appeared before his father. And he says, Jesus, uh, Father, I'll do it. I'll go on their behalf. And he says, we have this hope. It enters the sanctuary behind the curtain where you and I could never once go, where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He's become our high priest in the order of Melchizedek. There it is. Black and white. He has become our high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was shown in the order. They messed up between and then the order was always going to be the order. So Jesus has to come and create the order so that we can bring a whole company of people across. That's why you don't need confession boxes anymore. Why? You can confess directly to him. He hears us. Why? Because he's gone behind the curtain. He's sat there. There's no way blocking you now. He says, come. All the way you can come. What? Even in a suit? You can even come naked. You know that? You can even be in the bath. Naked. Praying. And asking God to forgive you. Why? You can go all the way. Don't have to put all that robe and ceremony on anymore. Jesus did something that no other priest could do. Yeah, he moved the curtain. He moved the curtain once and for all that was separating man from God. He's removed it once and for all. Let's go to Hebrews seventeen. We're coming to a close. Hebrews seventeen. So Hebrews seven, verse eleven, seventeen. Dear me, I just read, they added some extra chapters in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 11. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the law was given to the people. So they wanted perfection. God wanted perfection, but the people couldn't. The people wasn't perfect. And he was trying to show them, I am the way. Your laws and regulations won't work. It won't get you into heaven. So he says this. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of this the law was given to the people, why was there still need for another priest to come? In the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. Aaron has been a redundant, he's now made obsolete. Yeah? For when there is change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. Wow. Jesus said a new commandment I give unto you, love one another as I have loved you. Yes, he of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe. That's us. Yeah, and no one from the tribe has ever served, uh, sorry, not us, oh, sorry, them, on the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about the priest. Moses never mentioned anything about that tribe. And what we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. He's talking about Christ. For it is declared, you are a priest forever. In other words, the old priest could be corrupted. This guy can't. He's got the indestructible life. And because he's got an indestructible life and you're in him, you can have that indestructible life. Yes? 
He said, the power, for it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The first priest order we ever see is Melchizedek. It's not the Levitical priest. They came after. Yeah? The former regulations is set aside. Listen, I love this. The former regulations is set aside because it's weak and useless. There it is. How much clearer do you want to make it? And we still have religion today. And we're still making the animals jump like in in the circus. We're still making them jump through the hoops. We're still putting boxes in front of them. We're still putting obstacles in front of the people. We're still making the people come to the front. You've got to do 15 classes to take communion. You've got to do this to do that. You've got to do this to do that. We're still putting all the obstacles in front of people. And the Bible says it's weak and it's useless. Why? Because it will never ever change the person's life. You're keeping them in a a religious form. You're keeping your traditions alive. But you're keeping them dead. Now you can come in and you can go straight that way. The regulation now is you must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's the regulation. For any man to come to the father, he must first come through the son. He must first come through the son. That is the regulation. That is the order. Let's carry on reading. For it, de- for it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulations are set aside because it's weak and useless. For the Lord made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced by which we now draw near to God. And it was without an oath. Others became priests without any oath. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. This is in your Bible. Now there have been many of those priests since the death, since death prevented them from continuing office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Are you listening to this church? Because he always lives, because he always lives, because he's always alive. Listen to what he says. He intercedes for you. He prays for you. This is your God. Yeah? He intercedes for them. Such a high priest meets our need. He's cleared your mess up. One who is holy, blameless, Pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heaven, unlike the other high priests. They were corrupt. He does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. We should all be jumping by now. For his own sin, first for his own sins, he doesn't have to because he's not a sinner. And then for the sins of the people. Why? Because he did it once and for all. He sacrificed for their sins. Here it says, once and for all. When he offered himself for the law. Sorry, when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who are weak. But the oath which came after the law appointed the son. Who has been made perfect forever. Why do I need a priest on the ground who's not perfect when I can go directly to the one who is perfect? 
Why do we need the priest on the ground who keeps, who keeps falling and failing when I can go to the one who stands strong forever? It makes sense. Go all the way. These guys never had this opportunity. But now we can go all the way. This is the order that you're coming into. You're going to live from the other side. I said you're going to live from the other side. You're not going to be caught in the middle anymore. You're coming from Sinai to Zion. You're going to experience what life is like from the inside of Christ. Not from the outside. You're not always trying to get to Christ. You're not always trying to reach Christ. You're in Christ. So you're going to, God wants to teach you how to live from the inside this indestructible life. Where your flesh does not keep killing you and ruining your destiny. So from the inside, you now have a different perspective. You now see through the eyes of Christ. You now serve with the hands of Christ. You now have the feet of Christ. You now have the mind of Christ. You now have the heart of Christ. Everything is in Christ. He just didn't die for us so we could be left in the middle like the rest. No, we are now changed our position. He went behind the curtain. He removed the curtain once and for all. Now we can sit at the right hand with God because we're in Christ. We can serve him. We can go all the way to our father through Christ. I don't have to say, send a letter now. I have to say to Carol, Carol, you go and talk with it for, him, for me. You know him better than I do. How many of our kids turn around and say, talk to God for me? You go and pray to God for me. Why, why? Because you know him better than I do. Why? Because they're still on the other side of the curtain. We've gone. On the other side, we know how to tap into him. We know how to touch his grace. We know how to break bread. We know how to drink the wine. We know how to fellowship with him. We know the power of the new covenant. We know the one. We know the one. But they don't know. But what they say is, Dad, you pray for us. Mom, you pray. You pray. No, say, son, you pray because he's there. He listens to you. No, 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 no. You go and pray. How many of our kids do that? Why? Because they're frightened of meeting him. They don't want the life. They just want the answer. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth. Oh, and by the way, I'm the life. This is helping you. Jesus is our mediator. He wants us to live life from the other side. In fact, Galatians 3, 8, uh, 20 says this. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party. But God is one. Jesus represented the need of his father and the need of mankind. He was the mediator. He was the man who stood. He saw God, his father had a need. And his need was that the world was going to hell and they couldn't come close to him because of their sin. So he need, and, and he realized that the future generations couldn't come closer or know him. So he needed Jesus Christ who would stand in the middle, who was part of his father and also would associate with the sins of the people. Yes? A mediator is not only represents one party. Our mediator represented God, his father, and represents you. Aren't you glad? 1 Timothy 2, 5, 6 says, you have to turn to these, I'm, I'm, I'm closing. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. How many men? All men. The testimony given in its proper time. Last scripture, Hebrews 8, 6 to 8 says, But the ministry Jesus has received is superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to the old one. 
and it is founded on better promises. Hallelujah. I'm glad we got better promises than those dudes got. Yeah? For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, the time is coming, declares the Lord. Jesus Christ is our mediator. Jesus Christ has become everything that we need for life and godliness. Jesus Christ, my friend, if you're not in Christ today, then you can never tap in to what we're talking about. You'll still have to come and the curtain will still separate you from your father. Now, Jesus Christ has removed the curtain. So in other words, we can come all the way. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, the life today, I want to encourage you to open up your heart and say, I want to know you. I want to know you. I don't want to keep going through this religious ceremony, this religious tradition, and this religious activation every week. I want it to stop once and for all. I want a relationship with a God who speaks. I want a relationship with a God who loves. I want a relationship with a God who I can literally have intimacy with. That has all been provided. Many will testify in here of having such a relationship. For this is the new order that Christ wants us all to have. The order of the indestructible life. The indestructible life. So you don't keep falling and failing and complaining that I'm only human. Hey, that's not an excuse. Because in Christ, he helps us. He takes away the sin. If he can take the sin of the world and take your sin away, he can give you a clean slate. He doesn't give you a clean slate so you can go mess it all up again. He teaches us how to keep our slate clean. But if we do mess up and we will mess up, he forgives us. And how do we do it? By confessing our sins to him. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information, go to www.thedreamcentre.co.uk.